Good morning. Good to see all of you. We do hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving this past week. And before we get into our message, I just want to thank the group of people that come out yesterday and decorated the church. Doesn't it look beautiful? Yes, thank you all so very much. The Gospel of John, chapter 6 this morning, we are continuing a series on rediscovering our awe of God. You know, when we have awe and wonder of God, it fuels our worship. It is the foundation of our worship of God. And I think that's also the case when we approach, say, a holiday like Christmas, even as Christians every year. We can, in a sense, say, oh, we're so thankful that the Lord Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem and was born. But when we realize who Jesus really was and the fact that he was the Lord of glory who existed way before Bethlehem, he is the eternal son of God, and just how great and awesome and amazing he is that it actually makes Christmas even more awesome and wonderful for us when we celebrate it. So we hope that that will be the case as well this year. In John chapter 6, the first 12, 13 verses, we have the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. It is the only miracle of Jesus that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A little different in each of the Gospels because each of the gospel writers are writing sort of from their own perspective under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But there's two main things that John wants to get across about Jesus today that hopefully helps us to rediscover our awe of him. One is that Jesus Christ is sufficient. In fact, only Jesus is sufficient. And then the second thing John wants to remind us of is that Jesus satisfies. In fact, only Jesus satisfies. So I want you to keep those two things in mind as we travel through the first part of John chapter 6 this morning, and you'll notice how it opens up. It talks about the fact that Jesus was circling around the area of the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus's earthly ministry centered around the Sea of Galilee. So it says he went from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. Uh, he was always on the move, if you will, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 2, it tells us this. It says, at this time in Jesus' ministry, there was a very large crowd, a great multitude that was following him, and they were following him because they saw the miraculous signs that he was doing, especially on those who were sick. Jesus was doing a lot of healing, and people's physical needs were being met, and so there were a lot of people that wanted physical needs being met, and so they were following Jesus. They were not following him because they wanted him. They were following him primarily because of what he could do for them. You and I understand that. We have people in our life that get near to us and close to us and want to be around us simply because what we can do for them, not just because of who we are. Those type of people are not resourceful people. They're draining people. 
They will drain us if we allow them to. And it also speaks to the fact that these people were not following Jesus because of the proper motivation. Again, they did not want him and the eternal life that he was offering through a relationship with him. They just wanted him to meet their physical needs. Well, what's interesting is that's exactly what he's going to do in this passage because it shows that even when people aren't acknowledging him or recognizing him or following him for the right reasons, God is still good. God is still good. And we know that the people weren't following him because of him, because if you just glance real quick up at chapter 5, verse 40, Jesus says, you are unwilling to come to me so that you might have life. In the context, then, of where we're looking at right now, the reason why these people were following him is not because they wanted him and the eternal, abundant life that he was offering to them. They just wanted him to meet their physical needs. They wanted him just for what he could do for them. They really didn't want him at this moment. So at that point, because ministry is draining, especially ministry to people who are not following or doing things for the right reasons, it's draining. We talked about that the last couple of Wednesday nights looking at the prophet Elijah and how even though he experienced a great victory on Mount Carmel, he became very drained and he was spiritually, emotionally, and physically, you know, didn't have anything left in the tank. And so many times Jesus, during his ministry, after an intense time of ministry, would pull those 12 disciples away and would withdraw for a time to be restored. He needed to be restored, and he wanted to teach them they needed to be restored and to follow his example. So you'll notice in verse 3, it says, though there was this great crowd, Jesus went up into the mountainside. And he went there and he sat down with his disciples. Some of us need to learn the lesson of sitting down every once in a while. It's good to sit down every once in a while, and Jesus did that. And it says he did it with his disciples. The word disciple, in its very basic form, means a learner. One who is accompanying someone or traveling alongside with them because they want to learn, they want to grow, they have a teachable spirit. And we're going to see this concept coming into play here because what Jesus is going to do in this passage is simply not meet the needs of physical needs of thousands of people. He's going to use this opportunity to train and teach his disciples some very important lessons. Now, in verse 4, it also tells us sort of a marker in time of when this took place. It says the Jewish feast of Passover was near. So that tells us this was happening in the springtime. It's also very interesting and how it ties into it that The Jewish feast of Passover was a way of recognizing and celebrating God's supernatural provision and protection of his people when he moved them out of Egypt. 
And that's certainly what God is going to do here again. So then verse 5. Jesus looks up, even though he's up into the mountainside. He's on a sort of a plateau, if you will, on that mountainside. And he looks up and he sees this multitude of people coming to him. And you don't have all the details here in John that you have in other places, but in, in some of the other Gospels it says, well, one of the other factors here is it's, it's getting to be almost nighttime. It's evening. It, the, the day's drawing to a close, okay? So this doesn't happen in the morning. It ha happens later in the day. And there's all these people who have sort of been out in the middle of this nowhere place for the whole day. So Jesus obviously understands, as they all do, everybody's hungry at this point, right? And they've sort of put off their hunger because they want Jesus to do something for them physically that's maybe even more pressing than the growling of their tummy. But they're all out there in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus knows everybody's hungry. And so as he sees this vast multitude coming to him, he turns to one of his disciples, Philip, we don't know why Jesus chose Philip. We know that this was obviously going to be a teachable moment for Philip, but it was also going to be a teachable moment for the entire group of disciples. It could be, though it's speculative, that the reason he chose Philip was because this was an area where Philip was from. He would have been familiar with this area and maybe where to get food from. But there were other disciples following Jesus that was from this same area too. So we don't know why Jesus chose Philip. But here's what it says. Jesus turns to Philip in verse 5 and says to Philip, Philip, where can we find bread or where can we acquire food to feed all these people? And then notice verse 6. And verse 6 is a verse that if you mark verses or you highlight verses or whatever, I would certainly do it in some way in your Bible. John 6, 6. Because it has two tremendous things happening here in this verse that you and I need to talk about this morning. The first one is this. It reveals the motivation of why Jesus asked Philip this question of where are we going to get enough food to feed thousands of people? It says, Jesus asked him this question, first of all, to test him, to see how Philip would respond, okay? I want you to think about that as far as our life goes. There are things in order to train us and teach us things as God's followers that God will allow to happen into our lives to see how we respond to it. Let me give you a really good relevant example. This year, I think one, not all, but I think one of the purposes of God of allowing 2020 to happen was to see how is my people going to respond to this year? It's a test. It's a test. And I think some Christians 
do well and others obviously not. But it's a test to see how we will respond. You see, tests are opportunities. Opportunities to look at the sufficiency of Jesus rather than the insufficiency of our earthly resources. And it's learning that Jesus and Jesus alone is sufficient to help me to manage and get through anything that I'll come into contact with in life. Human problems are divine possibilities. And our problems are never too big for God. He is sufficient. So what's your problem? We've already seen in the Gospel of John that if our problem was we're throwing a big wedding celebration for our son or daughter and we're in a pretty remote place and we've run out of wine, no problem. Jesus is there. He'll turn 120 gallons of water into 120 gallons of wine. Problem taken care of. If your problem is, as we saw a couple weeks ago, the royal official son is about to die and he comes to Jesus some 15 miles away and said, would you please come back to where we are and, and, and do something maybe to heal my son so that he might live? And all Jesus had to do was just speak the word, say, your son's alive, just go home and he'll be fine. What's your problem? Last week we saw a man who was lame or disabled for 38 years sitting by this pool, hoping that the water in the pool would bring healing to him. And Jesus comes along and says, rise, take up your mat and walk. What's your problem? You see, what Jesus wants us to see, as well as he wanted his disciples to see that day by the lake, was that he was sufficient no matter what the problem or situation or challenge was. Feeding thousands of people and there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. Because notice in the end then, uh, the last part of verse 6, the next big point. And that is that the Bible says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Guys, we've got to capture that. Because do you see what that's saying to us? That, that's saying that because he's Jesus, he already knew what was going to happen, obviously before it happened, and he already has a plan developed and designed to be able to get through it. In other words, by saying that, it's saying Jesus, first of all, is fully aware of the problem. He knows there's thousands of people and they need fit. He already knows that, but he already has the solution in mind. He just wants to see, does his disciples look to him because they understand now he's sufficient or are they still looking at things through earthly eyes? Jesus is still doing the same thing today. If he's allowed something to come into your life or my life, he wants to see, how am I going to respond? Do I believe that my Jesus already knows 
how to handle this situation and how to get me through it. He already knew it was going to happen before it happened, and he is very capable of managing it for me and actually having every step designed that all I have to do is look to him, the all-sufficient one, and he'll get me through no matter what it is, you see. Because he already knows. We use the language, oh, they're 10 steps ahead. Well, guess what? Jesus is thousands of steps ahead of us. He, he's already mapped out every step that you and I need to take in order to get through whatever the situation is. He already knows what he's going to do. Then the only question is, do I trust my Jesus to get me through? And will I look to him, my all-sufficient Savior, to be able to get me through whatever it is I got to deal with? Whatever he's allowed in my life, whatever someone else has caused to come into my life, whatever decision I made that might have brought something into my life, if I just trust and look to Jesus, he already knows what to do. Well, guess what? Verse 7, we realize... Philip doesn't pass the test. Because what's Philip's response? The same type of response that many times we have. It's an earthly response. It's a response of looking around and seeing how I can deal with this situation from an earthly resourceful perspective. Because Philip says, Jesus, if we right now had 200 silver coins which can I tell you, in Jesus' day, that was a good day's wage. A, 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 I should say a silver coin was a good day. So you're talking about at least 200 days' wages, maybe two-thirds of a year's wage for one person. That's a lot of money. Think about your yearly income and take two-thirds of that. 200 silver coins, he says to Jesus. And even that, Philip says, probably wouldn't be enough money if we had that much money to be able to buy all these people enough food, even a little bit. Now, Philip has seen all these miracles. He saw with his own eyes the lame man healed by Jesus by the pool. He was there when Jesus healed the royal official's son. He was there when Jesus turned water into wine. And yet, instead of saying, Jesus, I don't know how we could do this, but I'm going to look to you because if anybody can figure this out, Jesus, it's you. But he doesn't do that, does he? No. He goes right to the earthly way of figuring things out. It's got to be money. Money's got to be the solution to this problem, and we just don't have enough money. And then Andrew. If, if Philip sees the problem as too big, Andrew sees the problem as, or the, excuse me, the solution as too small. Because he comes along and says, well, Jesus, 
I found this little boy here, and he's got this little lunch. He's got these little five barley loaves, which they were more like Twinkies. That's about the size of a barley loaf in those days. It was just like the size of a Twinkie. And he's got two small little fish in his lunchbox. And then Andrew says this, what is that for so many? He sees the little bit that they do have to work with as not enough for God. Because again, Jesus is still training his followers that he is sufficient and that little is much when God is in it. God doesn't need a lot to work with in order to fix something or solve something or get us through something. In fact, our God is so amazing that he made the entire universe out of nothing. If God can make the universe out of nothing, then five little loaves of bread and two fish are plenty for Jesus to figure it all out. And so often we as Christians, because we do not either believe in or trust in the sufficiency of our Savior, we hold back what little we could give him because we think, oh, what can God do with me? And what could God do with this one little thing that I could give him? And this, this you know, little talent or this ability or, or what little maybe even uh, offering I, I can offer to Jesus. What could he do with that? I'll tell you what he can do with that. The same thing he did on the side of that mountain that day. He can multiply it and magnify it because that's how great Jesus is. Little is much when God is in the equation. God doesn't need anything to work with, and he can make things happen. All he asks of us sometimes is just to give him what little bit we have. And I will tell you, there are many Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights where I get up before you, before I teach, and I say to Jesus, I got nothing, Jesus. I don't even feel like I got five loaves and two fish to give you this Sunday morning or this Wednesday night, but I'll give you what I have, and I just have to trust that Jesus uses it and multiplies it. But that's what Jesus wants to see in us, that even when we think we don't have much, Give him what you've got and watch him work. Watch him work. What John is doing here by recording this great event and placing it in his gospel is to remind us that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is sufficient. And he's the only one who is sufficient. Everything else or anyone else will not be enough. I mean, going back to what Philip says, Philip says 200 silver coins, even, to, even that wouldn't be enough because guess what? Earthly resources will never be enough to solve the problems that you and I encounter in our life. 
They will never be enough for the obstacles and challenges and difficulties and, and pain and all of this that comes into our life throughout our life. Only Jesus is sufficient to support, to encourage, to help us handle it, to have a way mapped out through it, to be able to do all that. Only Jesus is sufficient for that. He's the only one that knows what he's going to do ahead of time and who knows it's going to happen before it happens and who is able to give his followers a step-by-step -step way through anything you and I will encounter in life, including 2020. If we believe in his sufficiency. But John doesn't stop there. He not only wants to remind us about the sufficiency of Jesus, he wants to remind us along with that about the fact that only Jesus satisfies. In verse 10, Jesus, after he gets these responses from his disciples, says to them, make the people sit down. And then the Bible says this, adds, John adds this, he says, there was much grass in this area. So it was going to be comfortable for the people to sit down. Even though it was on the side of a mountain, there was a plateau there and there was a lot of grass. And of course, it was springtime. It was Passover. It was probably a beautiful end to a beautiful day. But it also said something else to me when John included that. It reminded me that our shepherd leads us to green pastures. And the shepherd here was going to lead these people to the king's table to a king's feast that only he could do. And he did it on the green grass. Then the Bible adds this tidbit of information. It says at the end of verse 10, there were about 5,000 men. That's why when we say the feeding of the 5,000, that's really not anywhere near. There were about 5,000 men. Well, but you've got to add women and children and who knows however many. It could have been as much as 15,000, 20,000 people on that mountainside that day. It was a lot of people to feed with five little loaves of bread and two small fish. But here's where it really gets good. It said, Jesus began to take the bread first into his hands. Can I tell you, I believe that's where the miracle happened. I don't believe it happened in the giving out. I believe it happened as Jesus took it into his hands. What is it that we can give into the hands of Jesus today? Because when you and I place things in the hands of Jesus, <laughs> Things change. What is it that God wants me to place into his hands today? Who is it that God may want me to place into his hands? When we place things into the hands of our God, that's huge. And then it says this, and then Jesus gave thanks before he began to distribute it. There's a great example in challenge for us. Jesus was thankful for the little he had to work with. He was showing us that so often we're not thankful as much for what we have. We're more griping and complaining and discontent about what we don't have. 
Jesus didn't have much to work with at all, and yet he was thanking God for the little boy's lunch. I think especially in America, because we have so much here, we need to really learn the spiritual characteristic of contentment. And being thankful and content for what we have rather than always griping and complaining about what we don't have. And then it says he distributed it. And literally it meant he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. And the Bible says he did that with the bread. And then it says in verse 11, he also did that with the fish. And then don't miss this phrase at the end of verse 11. This is another very important phrase. It says, as much as they wanted. It didn't say as much as he was willing or wanting to give. It says as much as the crowd wanted. In other words, Jesus just kept multiplying the bread and the fish as long as the people kept saying, one more helping. Filling them up till their hearts desired, until their tummy was so full they probably groaned. But Jesus just kept giving it out until they cried uncle and didn't want any more. And it shows again the kind of God that we have, that when he gives, he gives above and beyond. He gives super abundantly. He's a generous God, and he will keep giving because he wants to teach us that in me, I can satisfy not only your physical hunger, but I can satisfy every need and desire and wish you will ever have as a human being, and only I can satisfy you. Only Jesus satisfies. And that's why it says in verse 12, finally, they were all satisfied. They were all fulfilled, full and filled. They were content. Their tummies were full. Now, again, remember a couple things. Jesus did this miracle with people that really weren't following him for the right reasons or acknowledging who he was in any real way. And it reminds us again about just the goodness and grace of God that every day our God takes care of people all over the world who pay him no mind. He keeps them breathing, gives them enough food, gives them shelter and all that, and they could care less about him. That's who our God is. He takes care of all his creation, including the animal kingdom, as Jesus talked about in the Gospels to his followers. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. They were all satisfied. Think about it. How many thousands of people, and they were all filled to the gills. Jesus did that. Your Jesus did that. My Jesus did that. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the Bible says, after they were all satisfied, Jesus says, okay, to his disciples, 
Go around and pick up all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I want you to zero in on that as well because this is also an important principle in discipleship. God's followers should not be wasteful. We should not waste food. We should not waste time. We should not waste opportunity. God's people should not be a wasteful people. Jesus made sure that even the leftovers were gathered up. And then here's the other cool thing. Oh, it just happened that all the leftovers filled 12 baskets. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. One basket filled with leftovers for every one of the disciples. Couple things. First of all, the leftovers from Jesus' table is better than the full course meal that the world offers. In fact, the crumbs from my king's table is better than anything the world offers me. And second, Jesus here again, remember, disciples, they're learning, they're, they're growing, they, they need to be taught some things. Jesus wanted to not only test them, he wanted to teach them, if you will allow me to use you to meet other people's needs first before your own, I will make sure that your needs are met too. That's the way God wants his people to live. Not looking out for self first, but looking out for others before ourselves, knowing and trusting that God will meet our needs. He made sure that there were a basket filled of food for each one of his disciples because he wanted to reinforce and reassure them you can trust me to take care of you as you take care of others. In this moment, right now, God is speaking to his people. And he is saying, I can satisfy and fulfill you and get you to a place of contentment that no one or nothing else can. Will you be satisfied in me alone? Because only Jesus satisfies. God's people have to stop running after the things of the world, thinking that somehow, someday, that's going to hit that sweet spot, and I'm going to be totally fulfilled, totally content, totally satisfied in anything other than Jesus. I can tell you that will never happen, because only Jesus satisfies. But second, there may be some of you probably a majority of you here today and even watching in your homes this morning, you have a situation, a circumstance, a problem that has come up in your life. And God wants to encourage you to trust in his sufficiency, to look to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ rather than the insufficiency of your earthly resources. And to realize that just as he did with Philip, if he's allowing this thing to come into your life, it is to see how you will respond. It's not that he caused it. It's not that that would have been what he would have wanted for you, but he's allowed it as a test to see, will you respond in the right way? 
And the right way is always look to me. I already know how to get you through this. <laughs> I've already got a step-by-step -step plan of how I'm going to bring you through whatever problem, difficulty, or circumstance or situation is you find yourself in right now. Will you look to me to do it? Because I already know how I'm going to deal with this. Do you trust me to bring you through? I'd like to ask you all to remain seated at this point, and I'm going to ask our worship team to come up for just a moment ahead of time for this reason. I want to ask you today, some of you, to maybe just take a, a step, a, a, a declaration publicly, in the house of God, you're going through something right now. You have a situation, a problem, a, a difficulty, a circumstance, something you're dealing with right now, and you were just here today, not by accident, but by the divine providence of God, to experience the worship here today, to experience the word of God here today in a way to say, you know what, Jesus? I'm looking to you as my sufficiency. My human problem is your divine opportunity. I'm going to look to you today to be my sufficiency through what I'm going through right now. And if that's where you want to be today, before we even stand for worship, would you stand right where you are? Just stand right where you are. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Just stand where you are. The rest of us will join you in just a minute. Just stand where you are. You're just making a public declaration to God. God, I am trusting in you. I'm going to look to you for what I need to give me. Because I, I trust, I truly believe, Jesus, you already know how you're going to get me through it. You already have the plan. I just need to look to you and trust you because you're my all-sufficient Savior. Anyone else before we join you this morning? All right, would, could I ask the rest of you to stand with, with us all, please? And as we sing this song, as Nicole always encourages us to do, let's sing it like we mean it. All of us need to look to God, right? Whether we're going through something or not. Because even in those normal, everyday, routine days, we can't do it without Jesus. We always need Jesus. So let's sing this song like we mean it, and let's declare it out in this room to the Lord today. God, we're looking to you and you alone because you are our all-sufficient Savior.